Fun fact, both of the liberal arts colleges that I went to have since closed down, and I take full responsibility for that. My name's Nato Kitch, and I've watched way too much queer media and decided the best way to justify it was to make a podcast for myself and all of my friends. So please join me in three of my favorite undeclared majors. First up is the A and Gay, it's Amelia. Hi there, my name's Amelia, and I am trying to get my degree in ignoring red flags. <laughs> and you'll probably want to check out the new course we just added. Does red actually exist? <laughs> or a BS. Oh. Next up, we have someone way more qualified to do this than me, Bobby. Hi. I'm trying to get my degree in underwater basket weaving. <laughs> Dang it. I was going to say that. <laughs> I, am, I am trying so hard not to make the joke that's in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just go to our final contestant, Ro. Hi, my name is Ro, and I'm double majoring at being in my feelings and fast food cashier management. <laughs> <laughs> well, if nothing else, you'll always have a place at the Dairy Queen. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, my actual major m- might as well just be that. <laughs> <laughs> the Dairy Queen where Safwad used to be. I know! <laughs> Welcome to the second meeting of the Gay Anarchist Yoga and Erotic Cooking Association, where it only took us two episodes to mention the term gay for pay. <laughs> Tonight we're going to look at a film called Dorian Blues, a gay coming-of-age film that was made entirely by straight people. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Let's find out what went wrong as we play our first game, Con Text. My major is being in my feelings. I wasn't aware there was even ho- homework. <laughs> uh, I mine is in red flag. So <laughs> Thank you. Now might be a really good time to switch majors for both of you. <laughs> so Dorian Blues had a very rocky production history, which is owed to half of it being they had a very small budget relatively to you know other films at the time, and the other part is that for a lot of people on this film, it was literally their first film, and for some people, it was also their last. Since everyone here needs a little bit of extra credit to graduate, I'm going to detail stories from the production history and give each one of you two outcomes for it. (laughs) All you gotta do is use your brain and tell me which one actually happened for a point. And you might be asking yourself right now, hey, is this actually fair? You've had who knows how long to actually research this thing, and the contestants probably have, like, what, a week at best? And to that I say, question one goes to Amelia. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) I'm not sorry about this. Question one. Finding actors on a budget is hard, which is why the film lucked out casting Steve Fletcher as a father after what happened. One, the actor's SAG membership lapsed so they could pay him a non-unit rate. Or two, Lee Coco, who plays Nikki, bet Fletcher that if he lost at a chess game, he'd have to audition. Uh, I'm going to go with the SAG membership expiring. Well, it's a good thing you went with that one, because it's correct. Congratulations, although, as a bonus fun fact, the chess game is a variation on what happened with Night of the Living Dead, where Russell, they're coming to get you, Barbara, Striner won the sound mixing for the film in a chess game. Alright, and question two is going to Bobby. Oh, okay. So this was the first feature film for Michael McMillan, calling the Butter Pecan Dreams of My Heart. <laughs> but that doesn't mean he didn't have any prior experience. What extremely 2000 sitcom did he have a recurring role in? Was it What I Like About You or That's So Raven? I'm going to go with What I Like About You. That is so correct. It's kind of weird because his involvement in the show, he started as a recurring cast member, then he became a main cast member, and then he became a guest cast member. But you, like, you, you, you get it, right? 
Such is the life of a sitcom, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that your feelings are feeling ready. I'm. They have never been more ready. Because it's time for question three. You know, sometimes you gotta make rent, and husband and wife team tennis and Barwell and Meredith Taylor worked on commercials to help fund part of their films. Which of these is an actual commercial they made? Is it a commercial for Pringles featuring people in a Chips Anonymous group with the tagline, Once you pop, you can't stop? Or is it a Heinz ketchup commercial in which it takes so long for the ketchup to come out, a pregnancy test reveals the young couple is pregnant with the tagline, The best things in life are worth waiting for. <laughs> um... Just because I have a Pringles can sitting next to me on my desk, I'm going to go with the Pringles commercial. Well, unfortunately, your feelings aren't correct in this case. Oh, no! (laughs) That's ghastly. It should be worth mentioning that they made two commercials for Heinz Ketchup, and that is the only one that I could summarize in a sentence. (laughs) All right, we've made it past the midterms, and now it's time for the finals. Oh, great. (laughs) The questions are harder, and there's more to choose from, and we're starting with row. Oh, and if you get the question wrong, the others can steal. Fun! Question four. Filming took place primarily in Del Mar, New York, which is notable for Oscar-winning actress Eva Marie Saint, who has a long, long history. But what is the film that gained her the Oscar? Was it North by Northwest, On the Waterfront, or Superman Returns? Oh, God. Um, North by Northwest. That's wrong. Anyone want to steal? Is it on the waterfront? That's correct. (laughs) I love how you invited me to do this on the assumption that I know things about movies. I mean, on the waterfront is based on based on an award-winning play, though. So, like, it should be up your alley, right? Now I feel doubly ashamed. Thank you, NATO. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. So let's go on to question five, and this one goes out to Bobby. Mm -hmm. So Dorian Blues is based on the real-life relationship between Tennis and Barwell and the first gay man he'd ever met, Brian Varga. According to an interview with Tennis and Barwell by GayCityNews.com, where did they meet? Was it they were roommates in college? They both sat at the back of a history-moving image arts class their freshman year, or they met in AA? I'm going to go with B, the second one, moving arts class. I'm sorry, but you're incorrect. Anyone want to steal? Uh, AA? Uh, you're incorrect, too. They uh, actually were just roommates in college. and Nothing gay or anything. They were roommates! <laughs> <laughs> they were roommates. Oh my god. Oh my god, they were roommates. Possibly the first and only time they were literally just roommates and really good friends. The characters of Nikki and Dorian are based off of Bardwell and Brian Varga, respectively. So let's go on to question six. I'm ready. Hit me with it. So one of the most impactful characters that is that Spooky, Dorian's first gay experience, even though he only has like three scenes with him. The actor who plays Spooky, Austin Basis, has done a ton of guesswork. Which popular TV show hasn't he appeared in? Curb Your Enthusiasm, Drake and Josh, or 30 Rock? Is it 30 Rock? That's correct, and yes. you've won this game. Oh, yay, what do I win? You get to summarize this entire film. Oh, boy. Okay. I mean, if you think about it, the others are kind of the winners, to be honest. I didn't write a summary this week, so I feel like I won. My plan all along. (laughs) Y'all set me up, didn't you? So, Dorian Blues uh, takes place originally in Syracuse, New York, 
um, following Dorian, who is a high school senior who just realized that he's gay. And he gets a therapist, comes out to his brother, um, eventually decides to come out to his dad and gets kicked out, um, goes to New York and discovers himself has a couple of less than ideal encounters. But by the end of the movie, his brother and himself and his mom have come to accept him. Uh, and his homophobic, homophobic father dies. So everybody wins. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> everybody wins, yeah. <laughs> and like the amount of time that it took for Amelia to explain is literally the amount of time it takes to watch the movie it is a short 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 movie it is <laughs> it's only an hour and 26 minutes i think i mean that's longer than master of disguise <laughs> is that your benchmark for how long movies <laughs> are <laughs> okay uh, this is longer than land before time is that better <laughs> all right okay i mean it i guess it just i guess it just feels short because the editing is very snappy so it feels like you're moving a lot faster in a lot shorter space of time i guess well and i i would argue that there's also not a lot of character development so it just feels fast like kind of like an outline a little bit sometimes you're you're not moving much between points a and b so it feels like when you do move you're going at super speed if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, there's like this weird lack of character development that's just kind of missing. Like the characters don't really change and that kind of leads into like one of my biggest problems, which is like the moral of, oh, I shouldn't like actually listen to other people so much or worry about their opinions. Doesn't, isn't really the moral because like his problem isn't that he's mm-hmm. listening too much to other people. It's that he's not listening enough and actually trying to apply their criticisms in a positive way to his own life right (laughs) yeah well i think nato when we watched the movie together on monday um you said something that i thought was really um really accurate was that it it, the first half of the movie kind of feels like its own movie and then the second half of the movie kind of feels like i don't know like a a separate but sequel i guess i don't i don't know it feels like a sequel kind of the first 50 minutes of the movie, um, up to the point where he moves to New York, is really, like, interesting, snappily cut. You get a glimpse of some pretty interesting, if not fully fleshed out characters. Um, there's a lot to see. And there's also, like, there, there's a lot of, like, conventions and stereotypes in this film that are kind of, you know, uh, a lot of reviewers are pointing out that a lot of the stereotypes that were in this film, like uh, the disapproving father, the submissive mother, you know, the the brother who is also the best friend and close confidant, and they become closer through this experience kind of thing, uh, they're very common in a lot of gay coming-of-age films, but the thing that makes it really different even though it is checking off these boxes is just kind of it's very tight writing it's characterization and but that doesn't mean that it's you know a perfect film it's just got a lot more personality and it also has a poorly fleshed out gay character that only exists to move the main character along through the story so there's that too (laughs) 
does does, uh, does Spooky actually ever talk? I'm kind of I'm blinking. Oh yeah, he does. He does. Like a couple times, I think he he dances once. Um, <laughs> uh, they a, kiss. He freaks out, and then the table. He says no. Like, he. He makes a thing about the jocks being Neanderthals, yeah, right? Yeah. And that was a big deal because he was talking <laughs> yeah, to that's his like mom his and one he's line. like his mom's all like, Well you think they're all Neanderthals anyway, so what do you care? And he's like, He thinks these guys are Neanderthals too. Wanna bang? <laughs> <laughs> that that is literally the progression of their relationship. Uh, let's be fair. I mean, isn't that everyone's first gay relationship in a way though? <laughs> well, <laughs> so there is one big question that's really important to discuss when talking about gay for pay films and that is knowing that this was primarily made by that we know of straight people do you feel that this is a good representation of queer characters in a queer I think story yes um but one thing that i definitely felt about the film was that it was very apparent that this wasn't like like, just certain aspects of the film, like, it it was very apparent that this is a story that had been told to the writer and director, not necessarily something he'd experienced himself. Um, because I feel like, on the surface level, it, there were a lot of moments that, like, I know I identified with and, like, that I thought were very genuine and well done. Um, but there were definitely, I think there was, like, a certain amount of depth lacking. Yeah. You know, like... In, but I'm a cheerleader, for example. I feel like there's that kind of like added level where she's like struggling with herself more, and it just seems a little more genuine in the way that it was written. Um, whereas Dorian's struggle is just kind of not as flushed out as it could be. <laughs> there's a lack of perspective. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I would agree with that. I think that the the he doesn't seem to really struggle much. To me, uh, at first, he seems pretty accepting of himself because that's how he starts off in the narration is that he he had this moment where he came out to himself. And then everything from there seems to be him navigating that rather than much of an internal struggle with what's going on. It kind of reminds me of like Monty Python quest for the Holy Grail where like King Arthur doesn't really grow or change throughout the film. He, He just basically goes and reacts and observes other things. Uh, like like throughout the adventure, but he's still the yeah. focus of it, and it's not really a bad thing in that situation. Um, right. No, I I actually put in my notes here that I wish there was like I thought the stuff with the therapist was really good and starting to go somewhere, and then it just kind of ended. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I I honestly feel like there were a whole bunch of characters: the therapist, the. Uh, the uh, spooky is what his name is credited as who is the like half-hearted emo attempt kid who um dorian falls for in the beginning of the movie uh ben who dorian falls for at the end of the movie like the only point of these characters it seems to me is that they're put there in order to force dorian to grow and even when he grows he doesn't grow that much so i honestly wish they'd spent more time on those characters that are honestly just throwaways. And so, because some of the yeah. interest, most interesting characters in this movie are these characters that are kind of the throwaway characters. So, I actually have, like, this theory, and it's based off, like, the funeral rule, which is that when someone dies, it's uh, you think of the good memories, unless they were just, like, this real bastard, you know? And considering this film is based heavily on Tennyson Barwell's 
friend that passed away from AIDS, Brian Varga. I think there was a lot of hesitation when it comes to show him in like uh, as like a flawed character or like show him with too many flaws. Mm-hmm. There's like this real push to kind of try and immortalize his friend yeah. over like maybe showing a character a more traditional like growth of a character in a way. Like honestly, like uh, Dorian is everything I really wanted to be. Uh, it, like in high school, but wasn't because I was just like a stupid child, <laughs> you know. Uh, he's basically like he, he he's a perfect archetype of the person you wish you were, but he never grows out of that. Yeah, there are parts of Dorian that are really endearing, and there are parts of Dorian that are really high strung. That sometimes sometimes you want to hug him, <laughs> and sometimes you want to slap him. I hate how much I identified with Dorian in that respect. Like all his like just how high strung he is and how anxious. Yeah, I really like identified that. with the overthinking things aspect of of Dorian. <laughs> like overanalyzing everything. Yeah, I thought one thing that was really authentic or that really resonated with me was his dad's reaction when he came out. Um, just because that was kind of my mom's reaction the one time that I mentioned to her that I might be bisexual. So I was around that same age. I was like a senior in high school and she was literally like, you're just being rebellious and trying to shock me. Like, <laughs> no, you don't <laughs> stop talking. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I just, yeah, as a side note, really liked that particular part of the movie um, because I think growing up with more conservative parents that that is a response you get sometimes like <laughs> i wanted to i wanted to just highlight super quick two movie moments that really resonated with me um the first was uh when dorian is with tiffany in her apartment and they're supposed to be having sex with each other and it just turns into a big choreographed dance number that appealed to the theater major in me and it made me really happy especially when she started singing billy holiday that made me very happy <laughs> we also end up looking up like the actress and she's like a professional like impersonator of like marilyn monroe and stuff so chances are they like literally just hired an impressionist for a role and that's kind of cool because uh, she did a good job and then the other moment that really resonated with me is when he's with Ben, meeting Ben's parents, uh, and they're trying to keep things on the down low, and his parents um, just really casually. So how long have you two been lovers? Dad. <laughs> and he gets really surprised and freaked out about it, and they're like, we know! And he says something along the lines of somehow this is equally as creepy as my ultra conservative dad and um that made me very happy as well <laughs> for some reason <laughs> yeah that seemed like a very like, cool trick though to play on they him. were they were like like overly excited like they turned it all the way up to 11 it was slightly <laughs> creepy <laughs> <laughs> Well, no movie's gonna be perfect, but that's what revisions are for. So let's go to our next game, Miss Scene, a game in which tonight's students are going to highlight problems of the film and suggest scenes that would have fixed them. And this time, Bobby's gonna start us off, so whenever you're ready. All right. 
Um, I would just like an establishing Dorian and Ellie's friendship scene. Just even if it's like they met in class. Because in the dialogue, he and Nikki acknowledge that Ellie's been like a good friend to him. And she clearly knows things about his life. But until she like shows up at the bar, I wasn't even really sure who Ellie was. By the way, for those who are listening, Ellie is... Uh... Dorian's lesbian friend from New York who he met at college. Like, the first time that I watched it, I actually thought that Ellie and Tiffany were, like, the same character, you know? Right. (laughs) That would have been... That would have even been cooler. Yeah, that actually would have made more sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when she first pops up, I thought that it was Tiffany, too, until he was like, no, He's like, I have New York friends now, and they... You should, as an audience, just accept them as part of my life. Right. And, uh, like... They even, like I said, and there's like throwaway dialogue where Nick's like, oh, he writes about you a lot. And I'm like, if she's so important, where is she? <laughs> and We're Beth, too. And Beth, where is she? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and since we're going to raise the bar tonight, let's go to Amelia next. For me, I feel like a part that should have maybe been dug into a little deeper was that scene towards the end um, right around where his father dies Um, because I think you know they kind of again like just scratch the surface of like the whole conversation of not just you know sexuality not being a choice and all this other stuff but um, also like just toxic family because the dad is super toxic like super toxic so toxic like he's not you know and I think I think they were just kind of touching on the surface but then he dies and then the conversation just kind of ends. I think that I would have really liked a scene kind of showing the aftermath of his death where like maybe, I don't know, like Nick has a different reaction than Dorian or something, or I don't know, just like kind of delving a little deeper into that um, before they go to the funeral. Because then I think also the conversation he's had with his mom would have been a lot more impactful as well. Yeah, it's really weird because, like, this film has, like, a lot of momentum and, like, flow in it with the story. But as soon as the father dies, it's just, like, a, a brick a brick wall. And, like, everything just, like, ends, like, abruptly. Uh, yeah. Speaking right. of ending abruptly, hey, Ro, you ready? Hi. Well, let's go. <laughs> what you got for us? Um... Like I was saying earlier, I really like the scene where Dorian meets Ben's parents, but immediately after that scene, we get, uh, Dorian, we have to break up, you're too high strung. Um, and I feel like I just like a, a little bit in between, um, a little more establishing like what are like the little things that happened that ended the relationship because we as an audience already know that Dorian's high strung. We've already sat through 50 minutes of the movie. We got that. Um, (laughs) We don't need a character to tell us that he's high strung. What we need is people reacting in real time to Dorian being high strung. Also, I'd like a little more face to face time with the mom. She seems super important at the end. And I feel like we didn't get enough conversation with her at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. It's kind of weird because, like, the mom gets the she most... She just sits there rolling coins. 
She gets the most character development of anyone. She goes from being like a submissive. Once the asshole father died. How? <laughs> no, no, no. Like even before that, like uh, she goes from ignoring her son and being submissive to taking interest when she's when she's in the scene. She uh, for the graduation for Nikki, and she's like, "Oh, I read the I read your paper." You're right. You know, and so like she evolves throughout the film in yeah. comparison no, to like you're right. you know everyone else. <laughs> she just seems so cognizant at the end of the father's behavior uh, and how it was affecting Dorian, and all the time before she just seemed like so out of it and woefully ignorant. Um, I wish we just got some like some sort of acknowledgement beforehand. Like, I think, I feel like there was, like, a real missed opportunity at the end to, like, mirror the scene in the beginning where the mother's, like, opening cabinet doors in his face to, like, ignore him. For Dorian to do the same to her while she's, like, newly awakened her own thing. (laughs) I I think that would have, like, been a nice, like, you know, a cycle, you know, come full circle kind of thing. And speaking of me not being able to fully articulate my thoughts, it's time for our next game, Tip of My Tongue. This is a game where I attempt to describe other roles by the actors, but I can't remember the name of the show or movie. It's up to tonight's undergrads to tell me to shut up and let me know what they are. Uh, If you guessed wrong, you may guess again after someone else has had a chance to go. Two points to win, so who's ready for this? Sounds good to me. All right, let's go with question one. Michael McMillan, colon, your perfect boo from Dragon Ball Z, played Dorian, (laughs) but he also played Tim, a Canadian lawyer, illegally in the United States, in what musical comedy series about a girl who chases her high school crush back to California? Each episode is notable for having at least one musical number. Uh, Yes, Amelia? Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. You're correct. (laughs) Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was a fantastic show that taught us that we've got friends, we've definitely got friends. No one can say that we do not have friends. Alright, let's move on to number two. Lee Coco was a guest on quite a few shows, especially crime shows, and while I've never seen this NCIS spinoff, I'm going to try to describe the place to the best of my abilities. So here we go. Uh, Gavin's there. Uh, Gambit from the X-Men fled there after killing his brother-in-law fedoras, top hats, and dead bodies that will line the streets if it ever floods to make their home there. Also, jazz. Yes, Bobby? Uh, Is it NCIS New Orleans? Uh, You got it. I thought it might be, but I was so insecure about my answer. (laughs) I didn't even know there was an NCIS New Orleans. (laughs) Now you do. Lee Coco was also in a 2000... For some reason... He was also in a 2017 Christmas movie called The Sweetest Christmas, so put that on your list for next week. lady. <laughs> All right, let's move on to number three. So here's a fun one for you cult movie fans. C. Fletcher, Dorian and Nikki's father, appeared in a kind of beloved cult movie that is an unofficial sequel to one of the greatest cult movies of all time. First person to tell me what it is wins. So the original film was in black and white, and the sequel directed by Trent Howard of the Beaver Trilogy and Ruben Ed famously never bothered to watch the original, which is more evident because he literally just adds a plus one to the number in the title. The original film is known for being one of the worst films ever and starred Bela Lugosi. It was technically his final film. And by technically, I mean it is literally a film that reuses uh, uh, footage from different films that he was going to be in before he passed away. 
It was uh, the the film involved uh, a plan of some kind to deal with people from outer space. Okay. Um, so uh, the director of this, Ed Wood, was known for making cult and kind of bad films like Glen or Glinda, uh, which was a crossdresser. Ed Wood himself was a crossdresser. Uh, um, uh, uh, y'all need to see some more. Uh, so uh, this also had Vampira in it. Uh, and the original film uh, was The Ghoul Goes West or The Vampire's Tomb before it was scrapped and remade into this one for one final film. Um, really? Okay, um, how, how about this? It, this was the, this was their ninth plan to deal with these creatures from outer space. What is plan nine from outer space plus one? (laughs) Is it plan ten from outer space? Thank you, God. (laughs) Y'all, y'all need to go watch some more cult movies. Like, this is known as one of the worst movies of all time. And one of the first cult movies. Oh my gosh. Okay. So everything's tied up now. Let's see who's going to win this as we go to question four. So Mo Quigley, who played Dorian's mother, was only in one other film. First person to give me the title of it wins and is my best friend for the episode. So Mo Quigley, who played Dorian's mother, was only in one other feature film. This film was about someone who does not believe in ghosts, only to find out that ghosts are haunting him. You could say he's not a believer. This is the second feature film for the director and was distributed through IFC Films. Also, there was a Lee Coco cameo. The film stars Tim Daly, Tom Arnold, and Zoe Saldana and was written and directed by uh, a husband and wife team known for making a previous gay comedy, and also Heinz uh, <laughs> ketchup commercials. <laughs> Shame on all of y'all. I don't remember the name of the movie. Shame I on y'all. <laughs> Shame. The, the movie's not titled Shame. The Skeptic? That's right. <laughs> we, we have a winner. I was thinking about it for so long. I was like, thinking, like, I knew it wasn't the bully movie, but that kept popping in my head. <laughs> The thing is, I knew the name of it because you posted the trailer in the Discord for our yeah, no, I know materials, but I didn't want to look I at did, it because but... I felt like I would be cheating. But that's the thing. I saw the I saw the bully trailer after I saw the skeptic trailer, so I was like, it's not the bully one, but that's the only one I can remember right now. Right. <laughs> I just couldn't remember the name. <laughs> This is exactly like my fifth birthday. Um, so we've had some laughs, we've had some fun, we learned a thing, and now it's time for the most important question of all. Would you recommend this movie? And so, since Bobby is my best friend now for this episode, uh, we're going to start with you. So, Bobby, would you recommend this movie? Um, I would say yeah. I, I would watch this movie, or recommend it to people to watch. Um... I, there were so many like enduring, lovely things about it, but you know, maybe suffered from I don't know if it's like first film or maybe budget or just you know, like you said, adoration for the person you were writing it about. I don't know, but I would recommend it. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, very well said. So let's go to uh, second place for this episode is Roe. I will go ahead and give this movie a yes. Um, I would agree. This movie has a lot of problems, but none of them are big enough to really stop anybody from enjoying it. Uh, we as people who like movies are... We criticize more the movies that we love than sometimes than the movies that we don't, even though we do criticize the movies that we don't quite a fair bit. But I would go... Yeah, I would go ahead and say, yeah, give this movie a watch. Dorian Blues, thumbs up. All right, that's two thumbs up. What about you, Amelia? Yeah, I definitely recommend this movie as well. Um... I'm on the same boat. I think there are kind of some problems as far as like development of the story that could go further and stuff, but it is a very endearing movie, tugged at my heartstrings. I cried at the end, like definitely go give it a watch. So I really love this movie, to be honest. Uh, and it's not just because of Michael McMillan, uh, colon, please notice me, senpai. Uh, it's also just because... Like, I find that something that's not perfect is a lot more engaging to watch. And I think that the fact that this film doesn't fall into the trap of making the character either overly feminine or, like, uh, a straight acting for the sake of being an anchor for a straight audience is something that I really enjoy because it allows Dorian to feel like a real person. Um, and I, I really admire that after watching just a lot of just like boring crap over like the past <laughs> few years. Well, it's about time that we close this meeting of the Gay Anarchist Yoga and Erotic Cooking Association. But before we go, did you have you seen this movie? What do you think about it? Did you love it, hate it, or just tolerate it? Why not reach out to us at Gay Echopod, which is G A Y E C A P O D, on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we'll be back next week with another movie. But before we go, let's find out what tonight's graduates would do to reboot this movie in some way. Tonight's recipient of the Dean's List is Amelia. Yeah, so in my remake, um, I think Dorian's mother would play a much bigger role in the movie. Um, he would probably ex- actually end up coming out to her first. And like I think that would create a little more conflict between when he gets kicked out, you know, I think. Um, and also... I would change the resolution ever so slightly because I think it ended on a note of like, well, your father was super toxic and homophobic and like a generally shitty person. Like she calls him a piece of shit. Um, But uh, that's fine. Like you shouldn't be so angry. I feel like it should have ended more on a note of like, yeah, he was an asshole. I'm sorry. I wasn't like the best mom I could be. Like whether you forgive him or not is your choice or whatever. Like I think just an acknowledgement of how that trauma can cause anger and that's okay. Like you don't need to let it go because he was an asshole. Um, but yeah, that would be my remake. (laughs) All right, moving on. We have tonight's salutatorian and recipient of the president's list, Bobby. (laughs) Thank you. It's the first time I've ever made any kind of a list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We should all be so lucky. (laughs) It'll yeah, it's going to go on my CV. Um, I would say for my remake, I, I like those ideas, making giving the mom yeah. a role at all. I think what felt, what felt like character development was more like she had more than two lines. Um, 
toward the end. But also I think the way that I would remake this film would be to maybe frame it in, they started to frame it in him going home to the funeral, but I think I would do more flashing back and forth maybe between his life in New York, where he is now, to what was happening. Because the segments in the film felt like small flashback segments anyway. And that way you could fully develop a little bit more his relationship with Ben and who Ben was and his relationships with the people there in New York and how he was living his life um, in New York and, and what it meant for him to actually go back for the funeral and see all these people again So and, and kind of confront that. So I think I would do a little bit more back and forth between his life in New York and his past. Yeah. <laughs> and a nice valedictorian and member of Magna Cum Laude, we have Roe. Uh, so I just want to build on everything everyone else has been saying so far, except add in, um, let's cast Allison Janney as the mom. Let's cast Jim Carrey, new edgy Jim Carrey, as the dad. And for our young Dorian... Let's have uh, Tom Holland, because he's hot. Um, I'm just going to step in here and say Michael Millen, Colin God's best, can still do it. Um, at, at least he can do it for me still. <laughs> well, maybe he can play older Dorian in the New York scenes, and then, you know, younger Dorian we would need to cast. I mean, Michael McMillan, Colin, he can sing, he can dance, he can get in my pants. Uh, I, I, I think we could just, you know, CGI him like that Netflix movie. But anyway, I'm Nato Kitch, reminding you that if you can't spell it, you probably shouldn't drink it. Later. Bye. <laughs>